Psalm number one. Glad you're able to make it despite the uh, bitterly cold temperatures. It's nice that this winter hasn't had too many of those days, but today happens to be one of them. Glad that you're here. Psalm 1, let me read the first three verses before we uh, pray and get started. It says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. This is what we want to be. We want to be people who are like trees planted by streams of water that yield fruit, so that when storms come, we are firmly rooted in God's Word, and, and we're able to stand in those days, not, not on the basis of, of our strength, but on the strength from which we draw our, uh, from, from, uh, from where we draw our strength, I should say, which is from the, the water of God's Word. And, um, and the Lord is the one who does this work. And so we go to Him who is mighty, who is our sustenance. He's our all-satisfying tree of life. And He is worthy of our coming to Him for daily sustenance. And when we do this, when we go to try to become stronger as a tree, there's no pride in that. There's no um, arrogance in, in trying to seek more water um, because we want to grow crops. Instead, it shows our, our need for God, our dependence on God. We, we come to God seeking the water of his word by saying, you know, I am needy, I am hungry, I am weak, I need your, your strength. And, uh, <clears throat> and so when we go to, to God in this way, we're not being proud or arrogant. We're actually saying, God, I need something outside of myself to feed myself, to give me the nutrients that I need in order to be strong. And God is worthy. And so we go to him. Today we're going to talk about how we do this by going to God in his word. We started last week looking at that, and we're going to conclude today with, with that idea as well. So let me pray, and, and we'll begin. Father, thankful for the water of your word. Thankful for Jesus Christ, who, who serves for us as the source of our life and our breath and our spiritual strength and Lord, we want to know him more. We want to know your word, which speaks about him. And we want to, to be stronger and more fruitful in the work that you've called us to do. Lord, help us not to be passive or lazy, complacent in the task of, of reading your word, studying your word, meditating, memorizing your word, and, and uh, living your word. Lord, it is a, an important and necessary responsibility for every Christian and if we are not doing this, then, then we, are, um, we are doing spiritual damage to ourselves, if not heading ourselves down on a path towards spiritual destruction. So give us strength, we pray, to see the value of your word and going to it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we've been talking about quiet time, specifically how do we have this relationship with God. And we said that quiet time is the part of the day where we set aside time to worship God and we do this through the reading of God's Word, with fellowship with Him, and, um, and with prayer. So that, that we are spending time talking to God and hearing from God. And, and the reason that we go to God's Word in each day is so that we can have 
um, this time of, of building, deepening a relationship with Him so that we can know ourselves in light of Him. So who is God? As you come to see the Word and you come to know God more, you know more about what God is like, you get a better sense, kind of the, the sketch turns into a, a, a fuller drawing, right, the, of who God is. We have this idea of who God is, but it, it becomes clearer as we look into His Word. It also reveals for us who we are. It starts to show us a little bit of our own heart and who we are, and then it shows us how we ought to live. It, it shows the world in proper perspective. Last week I mentioned five means of getting the Word into our lives from Don Whitney's book, uh, which I'm recommending there in your handout, um, The Disciplines of the Christian, Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life. And in that book, he talks about meeting with God and His Word, which... Uh, is where much of this information is derived. And he uses five main ways that we do that. First, by hearing God's Word. So coming and listening to God's Word being read and preached, you're, you're doing that today. Second, by reading God's Word. We took a lot of time talking about that last week. And then now we want to move to, to the last three parts that Don Whitney talks about in his book, and that is studying, memorizing, and meditating on God's Word. So... So I think all of these are important. Um, you know, if you just have two, let's say you just have like reading and, and listening or hearing God's Word, you, you got a little bit of a grip on the Scriptures. But what we want is we want a full grip on the Scriptures so that we have, you know, reading, hearing, studying, meditating, and memorizing. All of them that we have this firm grip on the Word of God so that when the, the, the storms of life come, you know, we, we are holding fast to the Word. So let's start with studying this morning. So this morning, three, three things. Studying God's Word, memorizing God's Word, and then meditating. What does it mean to study the Bible? Don Whitney describes it like this. He says, If reading the Bible can be compared to cruising the width of a, of a lake, a clear, sparkling lake and a motorboat, okay, so that's reading God's Word, then studying is going on that same lake, that clear lake, in a glass bottom boat. So we, we cross the lake in a motorboat and we kind of get this sweeping overview of what the lake is like, you know, we, we, but we don't really have an idea of the depths until we slow down and in that glass bottom boat we kind of see what's going on uh, below the surface. And that's what we want to do when it comes to studying. There, there is, it, it is important for us to read and kind of get a big overview of what the scriptures say. You know, a lot of these letters, sometimes we, um, like, for example, Paul's letter to Rome that we're studying on Sunday morning, we, we're taking how long, like a year to go through it? And, and, and the original readers would have just read it one time through. Not that they, that would have been the only time they did it, um, but the point is that it is good for us to kind of just, just go by, get a big overview, that's how... Uh, Paul intended to, it to be used, at least in some part. But it's also good, the nature of God is that He is not just vast and wide, but He is deep. And so we, we can slow down and, and look into um, some of the, the more careful details. In fact, the Scriptures calls us to do this. Um, let's see. I'll, I'll just read this one for you. I was going to see if we could get some volunteers, but, but we're going to be looking at some other texts. So, Ezra 7.10. Last week you looked at Ezra, that he was reading the book aloud to the people. So he was just reading through, without comment, just reading through the scriptures. 
and that's a good thing to do. But this week, um, I, I want you to notice this verse here in Ezra. Remember, Ezra's coming uh, to the people of Israel who are far away from, from Jerusalem. They're in exile, and he wants them to... Uh, actually, they're, they're coming back to Jerusalem. He wants them to re- be reminded of the importance of knowing God. And so he reads the scriptures to them, but listen to Ezra 7.10. He says, for, or the text says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. So Ezra comes to Jerusalem, teaches the people the law, and, and, to, and he leads them in worship, and his heart is set on studying the living word of God. That the, the word of God is living and active and powerful than any sh- uh, two-edged sword. His passion was for the word of God. The previous verse in Ezra 7 says that, that the good hand of God was upon him. That uh, God's hand was upon him. It was good and it was right because Ezra was studying the word of God. And, and it pleases God when we are devoted to his word, not just to read it, but to study it. So uh, your blank there is to plumb the depths of God's word. Plumb the depths of God's word. That's what we do when we study God's word. But how do we do this? How do we plumb the depths of God's word? This is what we want to just take some time to consider um, this morning. Do we need a commentary? Do we need a whole stack of commentaries? Um, and if we're going to find out exactly what the meaning of the text is. Um, do we need a concordance? You know, do we need to go to the back of the Bible and find out where, where all these other topics are shown in the, in, the, in the rest of Scripture? Do we need cross-references? Do we need a seminary degree? Or at least be really smart in order to study the Bible? Well, I think all of those things can be helpful. Those can be tools to help us study the Scriptures. But let me suggest to you that none of those things are necessary in order to study the Scriptures. You don't need a commentary. You don't need a concordance. You don't need a degree. You don't need to be extra smart to study the Bible. Here's what you need. Two things. Number one, a heart that's turned toward God in prayer and humility. Okay, so number one, you need a heart that's turned towards God in prayer and humility. So here, here's something that, that should be um, part of your routine, should be part of my routine as I study, which is to simply pray to God and ask for help. This is, God, this is your word, this is your spirit that has to illumine my mind, that illumine my eyes to see what you have here. So, God, would you open up your word and, and make it clear to me. Turn to Romans 11. Romans 11. Not only do we need a heart, uh, a heart turned towards prayer, but also a heart tur- turned towards humility. Um, and that is that, that we need to be humble in the sense that, that we see God for who He is and we, we ourselves in light of who God is. And this is important because we can't come to the Scriptures just thinking we have got it all figured out, right? You know, I've already read the Bible before, so I'm not going to learn anything new. That's not a heart of humility. Or, you know, um, uh, you know I, I don't really need to, 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 to learn anything. I just need to be reminded of some things that, that I already have known. And that's not a heart of humility either. Obviously, we do need to be reminded of things, but we are always in need of learning some more. And so, in order to get out of that trap of, you know, I've already read this before, so I can kind of just breeze through it, um, we need to consider 
uh, what what really is there. Someone read uh, Romans 11 verses 33 to 36. Next one too. Uh, for him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. All right. So Paul wrote this part of scripture, and he had already met with Christ. He had already spent a lot of times uh, studying the scripture, and and he, remember he had met Christ on the road to Damascus. He knew God intimately, and yet here Paul is in in the mid 50s A.D. and he, he, he looks at the gospel, as we're going to see this morning. This is actually the part of the text that we're going to look at this morning in the service. That, that as he looks at the gospel, he, he actually is amazed and astounded at the works of God. And, and so if, the point is that if, if Paul knew the scriptures so well, and if Paul knew God so well, that he even, as he's considering these things, stops and gives a doxology, a praise to God here at the end of Romans, or the end of the, the, the uh, doctrinal part of Romans, then how much more ought we to revel in the Word of God and find, find joy and pleasure and, and, um, and notice who God is there? So first we need a heart turned toward God in prayer and humility. Secondly, we need the Bible. Okay, so those are the two things, those are the only two things you need if you want to study the scriptures. You don't need a commentary. You don't need all those other things. And if you have these three things, then you can study. Everything that you need to know about the text is in the text. And, and so you can use the Bible to study the Bible. This is called inductive study, studying. This, this kind of studying um, brings you directly into God's Word apart from someone else's interpretation that you're kind of, well, I'm going to take what he says and now I'm going to force it onto the text. No, let me just see what the text says and draw out from it what God has, is saying to me. That's the idea of, of studying in this way. And, and it involves three skills that we'll just briefly discuss. And, and then um, let me just, before we get into these, just recommend to you uh, a class that we're going to be having this fall, which is... Um, which is how to study the Bible. And it'll be like, I think it's 12 weeks where we just go through the Bible, maybe 13. But, but we're going to go through all these three skills in more detail. But for now, I just want to give you an overview of what they are. All right, so brief commercial break. Back to our program. Okay. As you read through a passage of Scripture with the intent on studying it, you can, uh, we're, we're going to go to Romans 12 here in just a second. Um, as you read through a passage of Scripture, you want to, the first thing you want to do is simply observe. What do you have there? See, what, what we so many, so many times do is we have an item that we're looking at, and we want to examine it for what it is. And instead of examining the item, we go to the, the resource shelf or Google or something. You know, we grab our encyclopedias. Okay, tell me everything that you know about this thing. But yeah, we have this thing right in front of us. And if we just take time to observe, um, then we will find out so much more um, 
and, and actually it will help the process of learning better than just going to someone else and saying, okay, what do they say about this? Same thing is true about the text of Scripture. Here's Rudyard Kipling. He says, uh, I had six, six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names were where, what, when, why, how, and who. Certainly, or probably you've heard that before. And, and these questions are foundational for observation in order to help us interpret the text. So what does the text mean? If we're going to find out what it means, we need to ask it questions. And these questions are, are all that you need. And um, this is essentially the, the method that I use, inductive Bible study, in order to look at every passage of Scripture that I preach. The very first thing that I do is, is do this process of observation. Read through the text multiple times and then start asking it questions. Okay, what is it that I don't understand? What, what is Paul trying to say here? Let me just give you an example here. Look at Romans 12.1, our text for next Sunday morning. It says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Okay, so let's take these questions that Rudyard Kipling uh, uh, had in his quotation here. Study the verse. First, where? So where from, from where is this person writing? Well, you, you might have to do some digging in order to find this, but, but if you go back to Acts, you would be able to find that, that Paul is actually writing from Corinth. Uh, he's writing from Corinth on his third missionary journey, and he's, he's writing to this church in Rome, a church that he's never been to. Okay? Second, what is he saying? Okay, if we're going to find out what is here in, in Romans 12.1, what is he saying? Is he asking a question? Is he giving a command? What is he doing? What? Pleading. He's pleading. Okay, he's giving them a command, isn't he? He says, I urge you, brethren, to present your bodies. That serves as a command. You present your bodies. Now, is this supposed to be meant as an encouragement? Is this supposed to be a rebuke? Okay, it's an admonition based on, um, notice the, that line there, the mercies of God, right? Which is what he was talking about in the previous 11 chapters. He's saying, listen, you need to live a holy life. And so remember what, where you came from and, what, and who you are. When, this one's something that you'd have to do a little bit of digging for, um, uh, and scholars are helpful in this, so sometimes this can be helpful um, this is when you go to commentaries, but, but this is around the mid-50s A.D. This was um, after Jesus had died, obviously. So even if you don't know the exact year, you don't have to know the exact year in order to get anything helpful out of it. But what you should know is, okay, where are we in the terms of God's history? That is, is Jesus still alive when Paul's writing this? I mean, hopefully we'd be able to know, no, he's not alive because Paul had talked to him. At, on the road to D Damascus, he had already been resurrected. We know from Acts 1 that he had, had been resurrected up into the clouds and so on. So, so even if you don't have specifics, at least get general information of, of answering that question. Next, why? Why is he telling them? So, so what is he telling them to do? To live holy lives, right? Present your body as a living sacrifice. So why is he telling them to do that? Does it say anything in the text that tells us why we ought to live holy and acceptable lives. Look at verse 1. You see anything there? Okay, this is your spiritual service of worship. This is what is expected of you. This is, 
This is the least that you can do for God for all that he's done for you. And then how does he make this appeal? Well, if you look again the second line, by the mercies of God. Okay, so Paul knew that he could not command spiritual things of people outside of the authority of God, but, but, but rather on the basis of what God had done for the believers, and so he appeals to them on the basis of God's mercy that I've been talking to you about throughout this whole text, that is Romans 1-11, through 11, then I expect that you offer your bodies as living sacrifices, that you would live holy lives. Finally, who? So who is talking here? We've already said it's Paul. And to whom is he speaking? The church at Rome, right? So believers at Rome. In fact, in the text you can see that, right? Therefore I urge you, brethren. So not just anybody in Rome, but believers in Rome he's talking to, right? And if you go back to chapter 1, you'll be able to see that that in fact is in the city of Rome. So if you're thinking, you know, it's way too hard to study, or, or you could never do it, notice that ver- in this verse, just verse 1, we took a few minutes here to go through and answer some questions, and it didn't require a degree in rocket science. 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 How about that? I was going to say Scientology. No, that's not it. Okay, so rocket science. No, we, we don't need that. God gave us his word. And he gave us a heart to be humble. We need to come to it humbly. And, he's, and, and that's all we need. And, and we need to remember that, that this is not meant to be confusing. You know, sometimes, you know, when we study through the scriptures as a congregation, and I'm preaching, sometimes I can make the text confusing. Okay, but that's not the way the text can be, or should be. We don't need a special decoder ring, you know, from your cereal box to find out what the text of Scripture means. The way that you determine the meaning of a text of Scripture is the same way that you determine the meaning of any text that you read. Okay, you need to understand what's going on. That is, the same way that you read a novel... Right? You're trying to figure out what's going on here. What's the plot? What's, what, is, what is the author trying to say to me? You might not think about that at the front of your mind, but that's really what you're doing. The same way you read a newspaper article. Um, you, or or, a, or a, an academic book. And, and that is that you use the normal laws of language. How do people speak and communicate their, the meaning of what they're trying to say? And then you are naturally able to interpret that. That's part of what language is. And, and the fact is that God has made the text of Scripture accessible to us. And I hope you recognize how incredibly privileged, like we talked about last week, that we are to have the excellent translations that we do of the Bible in our own language. Um, so that if we want to, we can go back to the original languages and study it from there. But we don't have to, because we have good translations. And certainly commentaries and lexicons can be very helpful. I'm not against any of those. But what I'm trying to encourage you with is that those are not necessary. You can study the scriptures apart from any of those additional tools. Now, that being said, it's good to, um, it's good to, to have some of those tools just to check what you're doing against what other people have seen. Um, I, I use study Bibles for this. Uh, I have several different study Bibles with 
several different conservative authors, and they're helpful in, in just helping me to point out the, the main uh, idea of the text. Because sometimes I can see something, think that it's right, and, and then I need to check that against this person, okay? Or maybe they're off, maybe I'm, I'm right, they're wrong, maybe we're, it's somewhere in between. But, but what I would encourage you to do is to force yourself, this is what I do, force yourself not to go to the study Bibles or the commentaries until you've first examined it yourself. Okay? So if you have something that you're trying to discover with regard to the, to the scriptures, you know, maybe you're doing a topical study on one specific topic, maybe anger or something like that, before going to the books, go to the book. And, and then it, it's good to kind of get rid... Sometimes we can use those as crutches and and then it, it kind of keeps us from, from getting all the value out of the scriptures that we would get if we did it on our own. Two reasons that those other resources can be helpful, by the way, is that it helps answer the questions that we can't, because let me be honest, every text that I come to, there, there's always questions that I have that, don't, that go unanswered, and I need help from someone else. And so I rely on these commentaries in that way. But again, I try to answer those first before going to them. And then secondly, you go to those resources in order to make sure that you're not misunderstanding. Because if God had worked through His Holy Spirit and those men to teach them something over this long period of time and it's stood the test of time, then there might be something to that. Okay? Obviously, they're, they're fallible. Every commentary, Bible study, uh, or study Bible notes that you come across, you're going to find fallible notes. So recognize that as you're going to them, but they certainly can be helpful. Any questions on observation? All right, we'll take, I think, a whole class in, in the fall to just one whole um, class to go through that idea and go through some examples. Next, interpretation or dissection. There, I call it dissection. You have five rules there. Basically, you take the questions that you have with regard to the text, and then you want to answer those questions, you try to answer them the, as best as you can from the, from the text that you have in front of you, but then the, the questions that you can't ask, this is where you start to dissect and, and try, to, um, try to dig a little deeper. So let me just, uh, just point out a few of these rules. We're not going to go through in detail all of them. But first, the third one. All scripture must be understood in its original context. So con consider the verse in light of the surrounding verses. This is what we just did in Romans 12.1. We considered what was Paul talking about in the larger picture of Rome, uh, of his letter to the Romans. And then what is P Paul talking about now? What is he trying to drive at now? So consider everything that you read within its context. You hate it when people take you out of context. They take one little snippet. This happens all the time on, on the news with candidates and whoever else. They take these one little snippet and it gets blown out of proportion because it wasn't used within its context. How much more do you think God hates that when we do that of, of the text of Scripture? We take something that we think is good and we want to use and we don't evaluate it in light of its context. And so the meaning is going to be found in its context. And a good way to keep from doing this is to, as you're, maybe you're studying just one verse or one paragraph in the scriptures, read the whole chapter or read the whole book so that you, you know what's going on here. Um, and uh, so, so remember that context is king. Secondly, uh, 
and this is found in your first rule of interpretation there, always seek the full counsel of God. It says there, the Bible has one coherent message, so all passages must fit in the unifying theme. The Bible is self-interpreting. So, if, if you see something in Scripture that seems to be um, claiming that God is evil, then you need to... You need to look at that in light of all the rest of Scripture. What do we know about God? Because the rest of Scripture is going to help interpret that portion of Scripture. Now, this portion of Scripture is going to help, help you evaluate the bigger picture, but the point is that we need to evaluate things in light of the larger picture. And, and as you'd come to know the Scriptures as a whole, you start to safeguard against bad doctrine. That's why it's important to, to skim across the lake on the motorboat, but it's also important to slow down. Because both of those will inform the other, right? That, that as you skim across the lake, you'll start to see that, you know, when you come into to things, well, this looks like, this is not water. This looks like it's oil. Well, no, I've seen the whole lake. It's not, it's not oil, okay? It, this, is, this is water. This, I'm on the lake, so on. The point is, is that, that we need to do both of them. And so it's a good practice to, to kind of be doing both of these um, cons- at the same time. Um, concurrently, I think is the word I was looking for. That is, that you're reading through the Scripture. You have a pattern or a habit of reading through the Scripture throughout the year, but then you also have another time in which you're taking just a smaller portion of Scripture and studying it. And, uh, and as you do that, it helps to inform, the, the part helps to inform the whole, and the whole helps to inform the part. Okay? All right. Next... Um, this is from Numbers 4 and 5. Look for the single meaning of the passage. Okay, no, no text of Scripture has multiple meanings. Okay, no individual sentence has multiple meanings. It can only mean one thing. A text can never mean what it never meant. Every passage has one meaning. So just like when you talk, you speak with one meaning. Now, we do have ent- double entendres and we have... You know, we have puns and so on that sometimes... But if we always spoke in that way, we would not be able to understand each other if we had multiple meanings when we're talking. Okay, we have to have one single meaning. And so that's why um, we shouldn't be surprised when the Scripture has the same thing. So don't try to twist its message in order to support a meaning that's not clearly taught. Recognize that God has one meaning, and that's what we try to do each time that, that we look at the Scriptures together as a congregation. All right, finally, application. So, observation, just kind of looking at it. What is there? What is God trying to say? What is, what, what, do I, what is the meaning of the text? And then dissections, kind of getting into the smaller parts. Okay, so what does all this mean? What, how does it inform the other parts that I've looked at? And then how do I apply this to my, lives? Because, to my life? That is, you know, uh, James 1.22 says, But prove yourself doers of the word and not hearers only who delude themselves. So if you want to avoid deceiving yourself, then you need to study the word and be a doer of it as well. That you need to apply it to your life. Because otherwise you can be deluded um, in your thinking. Here's what James goes on to say in the next verse. He says, For any, If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and once he has looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. So, imagine you look at yourself in the mirror this morning, see the imperfections, and just ignore them. 
in the same way, we would be foolish to, to be people who study the Word of God, to walk away from it and do nothing about it. Because then we forget what kind of person we were. We forget what kind of God we have, and we don't respond. So, really, that's what separates a believer from an unbeliever. There are lots of unbelievers who hear the Word of God. Jesus, you know, the wise man and the foolish man. The difference between the two men were that they both heard the Word of God, so that wasn't the difference. One acted upon what he heard, and the other didn't. That's what James is saying here. He's saying, don't be the person who just hears the Word of God. Lots of people hear the Word of God, but you need to be a doer of it. That's what separates a believer from an unbeliever. All right, so, studying the Word of God. We looked at hearing, reading, and now studying. Any questions on that? All right, don't be overwhelmed by, okay, I need to get through the, you know, a whole book. I need to get through Ezekiel. Um, instead, just find a small portion of Scripture, maybe a verse that you really love, and study it within its context, and that's a good way to start. All right, next, memorization. Committing the Word of God to memory can help us in countless ways because, uh, turn to Psalm 119, it helps us to know God's Word and to hide it in our hearts, Psalm 119. And that means that, you know, we don't have to have the Bible on us in order to, to benefit from it, that the Bible can be in us. And, and that means that... that the Bible becomes portable for us in a way that it, that's even better than having a phone in your pocket that has the Bible on it, right? Because it, it actually helps you in times of temptation, helps you when there's questions that need to be responded to. Um, so let's start in verse 11. Oh, let's start with verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? Answer, by keeping it according to your word. Verse 11, your word have I treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. So how is it that we, and I think even this applies to more than just young men. Okay, how can, it's really only got one young man in here, right? Just having, that's it. Everybody else getting old. Um, <laughs> um so, so how can any of us keep our way pure? And the answer is that we need, to, we need to live according to the Word. And how do we do that? Well, we hide it in our hearts. Turn over to 100, uh, same, same psalm number, but verse 154. One of the great benefits of the memorizing the Scripture is that it, it helps us to fight against sin. Look at verse 154. Plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to your word. And then verse 156, Great are your mercies, O Lord. Revive me according to your ordinances. One of the greatest advantages to having the scriptures in your heart is that it helps to revive you. That it helps protect you and, and to fight against, and here's your blank, sin and Satan. Helps you to fight against sin and Satan. Victory over sin and Satan. Top of the third page there. So how can we keep our way pure? Well, by living according to the Word and treasuring it in our hearts. 
so that it has this effect of reviving us, like 154 says. Now, this is not a formula. This is, it's not, you know, you memorize 10 verses this month, and then when you get tempted, you are guaranteed a victory. But what it does mean is that by filling up your mind with God's Word, you will be less likely to be to, to, to fall into that temptation. You'll, you'll be less likely to, to give in to that sin as you have before. And this is because the correlation to what Jesus has said, that whatever is in our hearts is going to come out of our mouths, right? For, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart, Matthew 12:34. And where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So as we fill our hearts up with things that are pleasing to God, we are less... We are, are, are less uh, a, what's the word? attracted to or less attracted to the sin and the temptation that is trying to pull us away. And, and this is, in fact, what we need. We need to fill up our hearts with Scripture. As we come to desire what God desires more, we desire sin less. I think that's a pretty basic principle. But it also gives us victory over Satan. Um, Satan is real. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And I think that's talking about believers. And, and what, yeah, what did Jesus use to defeat him with Scripture? Did he say, hold on a second, let me check the concordance here. I know you brought up that verse, but let me, let me go back here and see what I, I can use to respond in this case. This is a pretty strong temptation. I need, just a second. Is that how he responded? No, he said, it is is written. When he said, here, here, I, I can turn this into bread. You haven't eaten in 40 days. Here, I'm giving it to you. Jesus said, no. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I can have a proper existence apart from... It's not wrong for me to have bread, but it's wrong for me to have bread now because God doesn't want me to have bread now. I am, am going through a period in which I need to experience some of the, the things of human life, and the most important thing that I need is the Word of God. And so what does Jesus use to combat Satan and his temptation that was very real? is the real temptation. It wasn't just, oh, well, if, if you could sin, then... No, it was, here is a temptation, something that's going to pull at you. And Jesus responds with the Word of God. We need that. We, we, we don't have time in the middle of temptation um, to, to stop and, and open up the Scriptures. Certainly that would be better than nothing, uh, but, but we need the Scripture in our hearts. Scripture memory can prepare us for also for unexpected gospel conversations. So it prepares us for witness, witnessing and counseling. Witnessing and counseling. So that when someone comes and asks us about the hope that we have within us, we're ready. We're not just making up stuff or, you know, kind of regurgitating something that someone else said, but something that God said. We're, we're speaking God's thoughts after them and using it in a way to, to uh, encourage them towards godliness. So let's talk about some barriers to memory. What if, what if we don't have a good memory? First, memorization is not about having a good memory. Sounds counterintuitive, but, but memorization is actually about fighting against your own soul. The truth is, we memorize the things that are important to us. Before cell phones, 
you know, you were memorized phone numbers. You knew all of your family's phone, no phone numbers because those were important to you. You remembered your mom's birthday. Guys, you remembered that it was Valentine's Day. Okay? Yeah, it is. <laughs> you, you memorized how you could get home from work, right? You didn't have to pull up a map every time and go, let's see. Okay, where am I now? You memorized that because it's important to you. And, and honestly, how did that happen? How did you know those things? Repetition, right? That's all memorization is. It's just repetition. And so, um, we'll talk about that here in just a second, but memorization is not about having a good mind or a good brain, good memory. Um, memorization requires, next, depending on God in prayer. Just like studying the scriptures, reading the scriptures, hearing the scriptures, memorization requires that we depend upon God in prayer. So we could, we could call it the same thing that we did before, humility. Okay, humility, that we come to God with a humble heart saying, God, we need to know you. We desire to have your word dwelling within us. We desire to be people of your word who, who, are known, who, who know it and are known by it. So we depend on him in prayer. Secondly, we said uh, memorization requires time. It requires time. So again, you don't need to be a, a rocket scientist or a brain surgeon. You, you can... Just be a person who depends on God and sets aside time. Recognize the value of memorization, of hiding God's Word in your heart. And, and if you don't set aside time to do it, you won't do it. Just like reading and studying. Thirdly, rem memorization requires repetition. Memorization requires repetition. So, ten times read, ten times said. You got, if you're going through the, the little verses that we're doing, Colossians 2 and 3, that's all you do. That's all I do when I'm, when I'm memorizing verses. Is I'm just reading through them over and over again, then I'm saying them out loud so I can, I can get them uh, burned into my memory. And then, and then finally, memorization requires review. So if you just try to memorize something and they're like, okay, I'm cramming it all in today, got it. You know, like the kids in, you know, like when I was growing up in Iwana, we'd like cram, cram, cram right before... And then we'd say all the verses, and then next week, like, so what about this verse? Can you, well, and the nice part about Awana and some of those other kids' programs is that they require review, so you have to go back and be reminded about them. So, but the, the truth is that we tend to do that, too. We, we tend to be like we are before an exam. We, we like to cram, not in order to, for it to, to shape us and affect us and, and be a part of us, but, but just to get it done. But... So, so take some time, pray, take some time, repeat it over and over again, and then review. And you will be surprised at how much you can remember. And, and I would just suggest you, or, or encourage you today, okay? Don't feel like you have to memorize a whole book right now, or even a whole chapter. Where are you in your memorization of the scripture? Okay? Where are you? Just don't answer that out loud, but think about that right now. Where are you? Where, do you, where, where is the next step that you could go that would not be too, you know, earth-shattering? You know, maybe just a verse a month, a verse a week. Um, maybe for some of you, you are memorizing well, you're doing uh, verses a week. Maybe you need to step it up again and, and do a couple more. Um, but, but those are the, that's all that memorizing 
does for you. One of the great values of memorizing God's Word, by the way, is that it, it's a natural way to meditate on God's Word because it forces you to, to repeat the same text over and over again in your mind. And as you're doing that, you're, you're just thinking about what that means. And again, you know, if we think about it in terms of being doers of the Word, then we're, we're learning it, and then at the same time we're working to internalize it or apply it to our lives. So there's no magic formula to, to overcoming temptation. I, I've heard of, of people who are on their way to committing a serious, vile sin against God, and they were quoting scripture that directly applied to what they were about to do in defiance against God. They were quoting scripture. So there's no magical formula in just reciting. It's not a magic potion. Instead, it has to do like the word is supposed to do. It's supposed to penetrate us, capture our minds, and then uh, cause us to apply it to our lives. But, but memorization is really the, the start of it. Finally, meditation. Meditation is critical. If you, here's what one of the Puritans said. If you continue to neglect meditation on God's Word, it will dampen or destroy your love for God. So what do we mean by meditation? Well, here's a definition from the dictionary. It is to engage in thought or contemplation, to reflect. I think that's a helpful definition in light of our society, right? I googled the word meditate the other day, and you know what the majority of the sites were about? It was about relaxing yourself and kind of like this, this, these Buddhist meditation techniques where we empty our minds. In fact, Wikipedia puts this definition, a mental discipline by which one attempts to get beyond the conditioned thinking mind into a deeper state of relaxation or awareness. This is not our goal in meditation of God's Word. The goal of meditation is not to empty our minds, but to do what? but to fill them. Listen to Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from my mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. It's about filling up our minds with God's Word. That's meditation. And so... Um, all right, I need to finish. So any questions or comments? All right. Hope I didn't guilt you into um, to, uh, studying the scriptures. I hope you have a great and deep, lasting, abiding joy in the, the, the uh, pleasures that come from knowing God because you've done it before and you've felt the strength, you've known the strength of abiding in God and depending on Him and you've known the strength of being able to overcome temptation that was plaguing you because you meditated and, and worked to study and, and memorize God's Word. So I, let me just encourage you to, to not give up. Don't be weary in well-doing. For you will reap in due season if you faint not. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your Word. Help us not to take it lightly. Um, but to use it to advance ourselves for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.